Good evening. So nice to um, see all of you here today. It's been a long time. I'm here a little earlier than I expected because of certain events that took place in my life. Some would say they're tragic events, but for those who believe in God, nothing is tragic here on earth. I was in Scotland when I got the news that Mildred had lost her father. Mildred is one of our preachers. And uh, it was shocking to me, uh, more so because she was on a plane headed home for a holiday when her father passed away. A week later, I was in Canada and I just finished my first mission when I got the news that my father had passed away and I cut short my mission to attend the funeral in Bombay. Last week, my sister-in-law lost her mother and she had come for my father's funeral and she had to head back to Bombay to attend the funeral of her mother. Most of us sitting in this room have lost someone that they have loved. And if they haven't lost somebody yet, it is quite certain that one day they will. Because if there is one thing that is certain in life, it is death. And all of us are going to die. True? Now one might think that people would talk about something as important as death. But for some reason, nobody does. For some reason, people don't talk about the really important things in life, which leaves it up to people like me to talk about them. And one of the reasons people don't talk about death is because they're afraid of it. They don't like to hear about it. And when they do talk about death, they usually make a joke out of it to pass it away so that nobody really pays much attention to it. But I am going to talk about death here today because death is not something to be afraid of, but death is something to welcome. Because for the Christian, death is not the end of things, but death is just a stepping stone to heaven where we're going to live forever in peace and in joy. And therefore, we need to look forward to death with confident expectation, just like Many people who believe in Christ have looked at death. Now, one of the first people who died a Christian martyr was a man called Stephen many, many years ago. He found Jesus. He had discovered the risen Lord. And like many people who have discovered Jesus, from that moment onwards, all he did was speak to people about Jesus. And whenever he spoke to people about Jesus, signs and wonders followed him. People were healed of their sicknesses. People were delivered of their demons. People were blessed in tremendous ways. Now you would think everybody would be happy. But no, whenever someone does the work of God and miracles follow him, there are a lot of people who get jealous. And a few of the people in power trumped up charges against Stephen's and had him hauled in front of the Sanhedrin. What does Stephen do facing death? He started preaching about God. 
He started preaching about the kingdom of heaven, which only made his persecutors even more furious. And scripture says, finally, they couldn't bear to hear him anymore. So they took him out and they started stoning him. And moments before Stephen died, scripture says he looked up to heaven where he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the father. Jesus stood up in appreciation of Stephen. And Stephen cried out to him, almost with joy, Lord, take my spirit. And he died a happy death. Now before you leave here tonight, I want each and every one of you to change your attitude towards death. I want you not just not to look at death with fear, but I want you to look at death with confidence. And how do we do that? I need to take you to the Word of God. So can I please ask you to stand for a minute? I'm reading to you selected verses from the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. We know that if the earthly tent, the earthly tent is a human existence, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is done, what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This, my brothers and sisters, is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I know that seemed a little confusing passage, but actually it's very simple. And there are four things that we can learn from this that will give us the confidence to approach death. The first thing to realize is that we get confidence when we realize our existence here is only temporary. Like Paul says, we live in a tent. The second thing that gives us confidence is to look forward with great anticipation at what lies ahead. You're moving from a bad place to a good place and that should make us happy, right? The third thing we need to remember and gain confidence from is from the fact that this life after death is guaranteed to the believer. We are secure in the knowledge 
that we are headed for heaven. And the fourth thing that will give us confidence is understanding what happens to us after death. There are some who believe that once we're dead, we're dead. That's the end of the story. There are some who believe that we come back in an unending cycle, doomed to repeat life over and over and over again until we attain perfection. But we believe, on the other hand, that death is only a stepping stone to eternal life in heaven. And we're going to look at these points one by one. The first thing is to look at our lives here on earth as a temporary dwelling. Paul speaks of it as living in a tent. Now, who lives in a tent? Only refugees and campers, right? And everyone, the refugees and the campers, understand that the tent is only a temporary dwelling place, that eventually they're going to live in better surroundings. Camping can be good fun, but there are two things about camping. One, to live in a tent, camping is very insecure. Anyone can walk into your tent, not only people, but even an animal can walk in. I remember a few years ago in the old days, we went out camping one night. In the middle of the night, one camel came and took the shoe of one of my friends. I don't know what the camel was going to do with, with this shoe, but I know what this man was going to do without a shoe. It was walk in the hot sand, and this man never went camping again. So living in a tent is insecure. You can't lock it. You can't safeguard it. You can't protect yourself from it. From anything outside. You can have a huge storm that comes your way and just sweeps the tent away, leaving you exposed to the elements. But not only is a tent insecure, a tent is also uncomfortable. You know, you've got to live in this closed space. You've got to crawl into it. You've got to sleep on this hard floor. And even if you have a sleeping bag, there's a limit to its thickness. So you have things poking you in the butt right through the night. If you have people living in tents next door, you can hear their snoring in the night because things are very quiet in the night. It is hot. There are flies. Generally, anyone who says they love camping need their heads examined. Seriously, I tell you. I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it only for one reason. I enjoyed it because I knew that the next day I would sleep in my air-conditioned room on my comfortable bed without having to worry about flies or mosquitoes or people snoring in the next room. Now, what does Paul refer to this as being a tent? Because our lives too are like that, are they not? Insecure. You don't know when you're going to lose all the money you've had. You don't know when this house that you've built suddenly is destroyed. You don't know when you're suddenly asked to leave your job and to return to your country. You don't know when you are going to die. You don't know when you're going to fall sick. You don't know when misfortune is going to strike you. You don't know any of these things, and all these things are possibilities. Any of you who live here on earth know as well as I do that life is a struggle. We have to look for jobs. We have to make sure we have enough finances to support our families. We have to cope with relationships. We have to do 101 things, constantly in discomfort, constantly struggling, constantly insecure. Now tell me something. Why would anyone want to continue living an existence of insecurity and discomfort when up there is a place 
that is infinitely more peaceful, that is infinitely more secure, that is infinitely more comfortable. In fact, God himself says, I have a dwelling place prepared for you there. Not by human hands, by divine hands. And what does that make our residence up there? Something fantastic, something beautiful. Which brings me to the second point. Look forward with anticipation to what lies ahead. Now why are you afraid of death? Seriously, I need to ask you this question and you need to ask of it in your hearts. Why are you afraid of death? Because you don't know what lies ahead. You don't know what lies in front of you. But that is what God is here to tell you. You know what Jesus told his apostles? Because they're too worried. He says, do not be worried about anything. Because I am going up there. And in my father's house there are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a room for you. And he is there to prepare a room for each and every one of you. And it's a great room. Trust me on that. It's a beautiful room. It's a room where you're going to be happy and content. And it's a room where every single one of your needs is going to be looked after. That is what awaits you at home. Paul understood that. And which is why in his letter to the Philippians, he says, I'm torn. I'm torn between my existence here on earth where I bear much fruit and I'm torn between my desire to be with God. And it has been my prayer to God too ever since I discovered him 10 years back. God, take me home so that I can be there with you because that is where I belong. That is where each and every one of you also belongs. God, of course, has other plans. And he says, no, you got work to do down there. And I say, okay, as long as I have this work, I will stay here and do my best to finish it. But every day, almost every day, my prayer to God is, God, take me home. Because I look forward to what lies ahead with tremendous anticipation. And when you too look forward to death with tremendous anticipation, death loses. You lose all fear of death. Why? Once again, because like Paul says, what is perishable, which is what? The things of this earth are perishable. You exchange that for the things that are imperishable. You exchange mortality for immortality. And when this happens, what scripture says comes to fruition. And what does scripture say? It says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where, oh, death, is your sting? Death loses its sting in our lives when we understand what I'm speaking to you about here. The third thing is to understand that our future is secure. In this verse that we just read, what does God say? He says, I have sealed you with my Holy Spirit as a sign that you have been saved. Now many Christians, and unfortunately this is true, we don't know where we're going. Many of us still think we're headed to hell. Because the moment you believe in Jesus, and this is what Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians too, the moment you believe in Jesus, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a deposit for what is going to happen. Which means, if you believe, you believe in Christ, if you die, you are going home to heaven. 
question, why be afraid of death? The only reason to be afraid of death is if you don't believe in Christ because then you don't know where you're going. But if you believe in Christ, there's only one place you're going and that is home to the Father, which brings me to the fourth thing. What happens after we are dead? You know what, I asked a few people at my father's funeral, what happens? Just to see what they understood of death. And there was not a single person who gave me a right answer. Not a single one of them. And I'm pretty certain if I were to ask those of you who are sitting here, what happens to you after you die? You won't know. Why wouldn't you know? Because no one has taught you. Because no one speaks about this at all. So what happens after you're dead? I look cool. <laughs> this is what Michael Jackson used to do. He used to wear only one glove. I never understood why. When you die, your soul is separated from your body. Your body rots and decays, but your soul goes straight to God. Straight to God immediately. Please understand, there is no waiting for a final day of judgment, which comes later on. But the moment you die, leaving your body, it still looks like you, but it has no life. And eventually, it rots and it decays and it's finished. But my soul has gone to heaven. Now if you believe in Christ and you live like Christ in every possible way, zoop, you go straight up there to God. If, however, your life is not completely perfect, you spend a few moments lingering about in a place of purification, in a place called purgatory, and this is also something a lot of people don't understand. It is not a place for the forgiveness of sins, because your sins are forgiven the moment you believe in Jesus and have repented for them. So what is this place then? This is a place where your will is aligned to the will of God. Please understand this carefully. Let us imagine that this brother here is a very holy man. He's obedient to God in almost every way. Because there's always a little bit of areas in our lives that are not aligned to the will of God. He goes to God right now the way he is. What happens? At some point, he will disobey God again. Are you listening to me? Are you following what I'm saying? Because his will is not perfectly aligned. Maybe there is some pride in him. Pride at his own holiness. Pride in the fact that he is living a pure, holy life here on earth. He goes to heaven and like the first angel, do you remember his name? Lucifer. He will rebel against God and the whole thing will start all over again. So his will needs to be aligned with the will of God perfectly. 
And that is what this place of purification is. That is what purgatory is, where your will is aligned to the will of God in every way. So that when you go to heaven and are with God, who is holy and is perfect, you are holy and perfect too, obedient to everything that God says, because your will is God's will. Purgatory, the way I've just explained it, they think it is a place where we go to get our sins Forgiven, it isn't. Our sins are forgiven now, here on earth. It is now here on earth when we believe Jesus that we get eternal life. Eternal life is not something that happens after we die. Eternal life begins the moment we believe in Christ, the moment we are baptized in Him, the moment that happens, we are already seated in the heavenly realms. We just need to make that transition. And when you understand this is what death is, isn't it something to look forward to? How do you know now that the moment you die, you go up to heaven? Do you remember the thief on the cross? What did Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. By the way, you'll find all of this in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. There are two sections in it, Article 11 and Article 12 that speak about the resurrection from the dead and life everlasting. And they are two of the best chapters you will ever read because I'm telling you, whatever you read in there is contained in scripture and will give you an understanding of what death truly is. Now we come to some applications of death and here is when I need to get personal because for me no teaching is complete unless it relates to life. My first mission in Canada was the discipleship program. And this year it changed. For some reason it changed. It became something totally different. And it became very good. And on the third day of the program, I found myself talking to people about how we belong to God. Do you know you belong to God? Living, you belong to God. Dying, you belong to God. You are His, just as scripture says. Dead or alive, I belong to God. Now, if you belong to God, then so does everyone around you, right? Your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your children. We all belong to God. And if we belong to God, then it is up to God to decide when to take us home at the time he pleases, right or wrong. Now, let us imagine I give you a book. And you read that book. I give you the book and she reads it. She likes it. She forgets to return it to me and I leave here to go to the States for three years. Three years later, I come back to Dubai, I meet her and I say, can I have my book back, please? Can she say, no, this book is mine, it belongs to me because I've had it for three years. Can she say it? No, because the book does not belong to her. It belongs to me. And as long as I let her keep it, she can happily keep it and read it a hundred times if she wants. But when I say I need that book back, it has to be given back to me. In the same way, each and every one of us belongs to God. And it is up to God to decide for how long he wants to keep us. I have been very fortunate in that I've spent my entire life without losing anybody close to me. Until recently when my father was taken away. Now I was blessed that I had my father for 78 odd years here on earth. 
that he lived for 78 odd years on earth. But if he had lived not for 78, but for 68 or 58 or 48 or 38, who am I to say, no God, you should have let him live a little longer because it is up to God to decide when he wanted to take my father home. It is the same thing I'm telling you. How can you cling to people saying they are mine when they are not yours? They're given to you for a temporary period. And if you have them for more than a year, praise God for that. If you have them for more than five, praise God for that. If you have them for 10 or 20 or 30, praise God for that. But eventually God will take them home. The day after I gave this talk to the people, my wife called me and said, Anil, I'm sorry, but your dad died. And I went numb for a minute because I didn't know how to react to the words. I felt a little grief because I knew I was going to miss him. I would never see him smiling again. He had a very funny smile. I would never see him walk into my house or play with his grandchildren or talk to me in the, only, in the special way that he used to talk to me with so much of love and so much of respect. But at the same time, I suddenly remembered what I preached the previous evening and I realized that I couldn't hold him back and instead of being sad for him I needed to be happy for him because I knew I knew he was home with the father now he was a man who died very suddenly my wife said he was sleeping and in the night he started coughing and suddenly he just made a little noise and passed away. And when I heard that, I couldn't help but think about what Jesus said about death coming like a thief in the night. I don't want to frighten you. But what if you go home tonight and you die? It's a serious question. Are you ready to be taken up? You need to be. My father was. Because like I said, my father not only believed in Christ, but he lived like Christ. And there's not a single person on earth who will say otherwise. He was, you know, you speak of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. My father had each one of these qualities. I never saw him angry in all the 50 odd years that I've lived with him. Never. Once. He's always patient, always calm, always kind, always generous, always there for others. So in my heart, I knew that he was home. And in my heart, I could not be anything but happy. You know when the Jesuits lose one of their members? They don't mourn. They throw a party to celebrate that their brother is now at home with their father in heaven. And this is how we should be. Change your attitude about death from this miserable thing that we have turned it into the glorious thing it actually is because what is mortal has now become immortal. What was here decaying, suffering, Dying constantly is there living for eternity in the place where it belongs. 
Now on my way back home, I kept thinking about something else that God said in his word. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But when it dies, it becomes something new. From death comes life. And I said, Lord, how? How are you going to make anything good out of this? There my mission is aborted. I not even finished 15% of my mission and I had to cut it short to return home. What good are you going to do out of this? And at the funeral, I suddenly discovered the good that it was going to bring. Because as I stood up there giving the eulogy, I realized I had one regret. And my regret was that I never told my father as often as I should that I loved him. And I realized I never would get the opportunity to do that again. He was gone. And I also realized that there were so many people around me who were still living that I hadn't told. I loved them for the longest time. And I'm not talking about you guys. I tell you that I love you very, very often. But the people closest to me, my brothers, I don't remember the last time I told them I love them, my sister-in-law, my mother, my children, my wife. And the next day when we had a little prayer gathering for the family, I went to both my brothers and I gave them the tightest hug I could think of giving anybody. And I told them I loved them. And I also told them I was sorry for whatever I'd done to hurt them. And I cannot tell you the healing that took place at that moment. You know, I speak to you about forgiveness so often. But what I haven't told you often enough is that sometimes we need to be forgiven. That we need to go to people, especially those who are close to us. And instead of telling them we forgive them, we tell them we're sorry and ask them to forgive us. And this is what I want you to do here tonight. I want you to go home and I want you to pick up the phone and I want you to call your father, your mother, I want you to call your brothers and your sisters. I want you to call those who are not living with you and just say to them that I love you. And if you need to, Dad, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter that he might have been the one to hurt you. It doesn't matter if your mother has hurt you. It doesn't matter if your spouse has hurt you. It doesn't matter if your children have hurt you. You just say, I love you. And you say that you're sorry to them. And I promise you, I promise you, there will be healing. There will be healing like you will not believe. And from this comes life. I've started telling my children I love them. My son, he's very much like me, like I used to be when I was his age, kind of aloof, very quiet, very distant, very closed person. But I go to him and I just put my arms around him and I tell him I love you, son. And I go to my daughter and I do that with her as well. Today I said I love you and I said I'm sorry I forgot to tell you yesterday and day before. And she said don't worry you can make up for it. And she's here today. She's here today along with my brother 
and my sister-in-law and other relatives of mine who have neglected for the longest time because of you people and I realized I made a big mistake. The mistake is not that I should have loved you less, but the mistake is that I should have loved them more. Because in the end, my brothers and sisters, our judgment is going to be about love. Everything you do is going to be weighed on the scales of love. And the people you're going to be questioned are the people nearest to you. Because these are the people whom God has given you for your own to love. And for some reason, they're the hardest to love. But trust me, you do it. And the satisfaction you get when the love is returned is far greater than any satisfaction you can get from the love that is given to you by people who are not your blood. So, will you do this? Don't say yes and don't do it. What are you going to do? Find your spouse. If you're married, first find your spouse. Is your spouse with you here? Are you sitting next to him or her? Go on. Turn to your spouse and say, I love you. And say, I'm sorry for hurting you. Go on. Don't be embarrassed. Are your children here with you? Turn to them and say, I love you. Come on. Children, say the same thing to your parents. Don't be embarrassed. Are your brothers and sisters here with you? Go on, turn to them and say. Anyone who's related to you, turn to them and say that you love them. Okay, I guess most of you don't have your brothers, sisters, parents, or children here. And that's a big problem. Seriously, are you listening to me? It's a big problem. Why is it a big problem? I got another story to tell you, and this also is from personal experience. Our family is very close. I mean, really close. And we're a big family. My father came from a, from a family of 11 children. So there are a lot of cousins, a lot of uncles, a lot of aunts, a lot of nieces and nephews. Another thing about our family is for every birth, they are present, and for every death, they are present, and for everything in the middle, they are present. So you can't have any function without everybody coming for it, from Mangalore or Bangalore, or if they're outside the country, they come from there as well. It's tremendous, this love this family has. And I look at it and I go, wow, that's cool, you know, that's really awesome. But I suddenly wondered, there's going to be a big function up in heaven where everybody gets together. And I couldn't help but wonder if all of them were going to be there for that party. And it made my soul hurt. And this is a question for you also. Up there, is your wife or your husband, your father, your mother, your children, your brothers and sisters, are they going to be there with you? Because if they're not, you're going to be very sad people. Now is the time and the only time you have 
to bring them to a knowledge of Christ and salvation. This is not about just believing in Christ and saying, I believe in Jesus and leaving it at that. It's not about saying, I go for mass and that's that. It's about having a relationship with Jesus who is the source of life to understand him, to know him, to love him. Man, he loves you so much. You know that, don't you? Look at Stephen. The moment he came to the knowledge of Christ, he couldn't keep that knowledge to himself. He had to share it with everybody. You look at me. I'm on fire. You cannot tell me to sit down in one corner and not move. I have to go out there and have to tell people about Jesus because I have to bring them to eternal life because there is going to be one heck of a party up there in heaven and I want everybody to be there. Especially the people who are close to me. Now I can't bring the people who are close to you. You can bring them. And trust me, you go to them, you tell them you love them, you tell them you're sorry, and you say, come, listen to the word of God. Listen to words of life. Listen to how much God loves you, and listen to the things he has planned for you here on earth and up there in heaven, and they will come. And when they come, they'll be nurtured by the word. They'll be nourished by the word. They'll be transformed by the word. And they too will go forth in great force, just as you will go forth in great force. And that is what you need to do. So I'm so happy to see this family here. They're another family I've not seen in years, by the way. I don't know why they stayed away. Maybe I hurt them. But they're here. And they're here, father, mother, three children listening to the word of God, being nourished by it, being nurtured by it. And you love it, don't you? I'm not letting anybody go because I want everybody up there for this great party that we're all going to enjoy. Amen? How many of you want a sample of heaven? Raise your hands. A sample of heaven right here now. You're not going to die, don't worry. But even if you are going to die, you're looking forward with confidence. So even if you die, great. Okay? Good, choir, come forward. I want you to do me a favor. I really want you to get a taste of heaven here. God is real and I want you to feel him. I want you to feel him touch you. And I want him to give you a glimpse of what is up there. Now you can't see heaven with your eyes open. Why? Because if you open your eyes, you're going to see me. And you don't want that, trust me. So close your eyes so that you can see Jesus with the eyes of your heart. And tell him, tell him, I want to feel you today. I want to know the reality of you today. Is everyone ready? All right, close your eyes. And I want you also to sing Spirit of the Sovereign Lord. Father God, we want to thank you for this day. Sound. Father God, we want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for the words of life you have spoken here to your children. We believe they have touched everyone's hearts. and We believe, Lord, that we look at death very differently from now on. 
as something that we look forward to rather than fear. We want to thank you for understanding that life is short and that we need to make the most of it, especially with our relationships, with those who are near to us, our parents, our spouses, our siblings, our children. We, Lord, will try to go home tonight and tell every one of them, even if it means running up a few expensive phone calls, that we love them. And we're going to do this not once in a way, but we're going to do it regularly, Lord, because there is nothing as healing and building as love. I love that cares. I love that nurtures. I love that nourishes, just like your love for us. But Lord, we want to experience your love here, now tonight. Many of us are hurting. Many of us are broken. Many of us are sad because we have lost someone who's dear to us and near to us. And even though we're happy for them, Lord, we miss them here on earth. We miss their presence. We miss their voice. We miss listening to them. We miss their love. And so, Lord, here we ask you for rest, refreshment, and healing. And we also ask for a glimpse of heaven as we ask that the weight of your glory comes down upon us, upon each and every one of us who is gathered in this little room today touch us Lord love us Lord Spirit of the Sovereign Lord 